All right, so today's a very exciting day. I am joined by Neil Mohan, the uh, Chief Product Officer at YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us today. There's, there's all kinds of burning questions, well, that I've got for you, but also the community as well. I actually put it out on Twitter that you were coming on the show and all of a sudden, like, it lit up with all types of questions. You're a very popular guy. A lot of people <laughs> want to know what you have to say. You know that, right? All right. Well, hopefully I'll say something uh, interesting here, but it's great <laughs> to be with you, Lou. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, the pleasure is all mine. And of course, Willie Dews as well. Uh, first off, just before we get into the pressing uh, questions, I just want to know uh, kind of how you ended up in this position with this job, how you got here. Yeah, um, well, it's been a, it's certainly been a, a long journey. Uh, I've been in this role as the chief product officer at YouTube now for, I'd say, uh, six years. So time flies. Um and I've been at Google for much longer than long, longer than that. I came to Google uh, all the way back in 2008 when uh, we sold a company called DoubleClick to Google. And so much of my career was in the uh, digital advertising, internet advertising space. And before both DoubleClick and YouTube were parts of Google, YouTube was my one of my biggest clients when I was at DoubleClick um, because obviously, as you know, our our business model is an advertising one. That's how we uh, generate revenue on behalf of our creators. And so I've always been at this intersection of media and technology kind of throughout my whole career. And uh, YouTube was really sort of kind of an evolution of that. And here I get to work on um, obviously all the products that, you know, our two billion viewers all over the world use, but also all the tools and and um, uh, features that you as a creator use to reach all of your audience, um, you know, uh, generate revenue, et cetera. And so it's been a, it's been a super fun ride. Now, uh, I just want to dig in just a little bit more right here. Uh, what does your, uh, what do your daily activities look like? Like what types of decisions are you faced with? What are the, what, what kind of uh, tasks would you uh, deal with on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that um, in a most fundamental way, my 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 job is really twofold. First and foremost, I'm as I mentioned, I'm responsible for all of our products, everything you know, the YouTube experience on uh, on the mobile phone, on desktop, laptops, on large screens, living room screens, etc. Everything that our viewers use to connect with you know their favorite creators like yourself, and then everything that our creators use, everybody from. Uh, um, our our uh, our YouTubers like you, musicians, artists, all the way up to traditional media companies, they use a number of products and features both to connect with their audiences, but also to build a business uh, on YouTube. And so I'm responsible for those products. Uh, and then the other part of my job is um, a responsibility for what we call our trust and safety, and that's basically about protecting our ecosystem, the community guidelines that govern the content on our platform, uh, the rules of the road, so to speak, in terms of the content that stays up, uh, comes down, et cetera, uh, our recommendations, what content um, is recommended to our viewers, et cetera. And so that's sort of the, the portfolio of responsibility. Um, and in terms of my day-to-day, -day, it really comes down to uh, helping my teams make the best decisions on behalf of that entire sort of ecosystem, users, our viewers, our creators, our partners, our advertisers, etc. And oftentimes, by the time a decision reaches me, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's usually a trade-off. It's a, it's a, it's a, 
sometimes a difficult trade-off between, you know, various constituents, you know, uh, short-term versus long-term, all those types of things. And so uh, my job, whether it's in a product review or a design review, is to really look to make the decision that is in the best interest of this overall ecosystem, our viewers, our creators, et cetera. And, you know, I probably make, you know, dozens of those types of decisions on behalf of my teams on a, on a weekly basis. And so that's that's a little bit of kind of the sausage making in terms of how uh, all, all of us at YouTube are busy at work in terms of building, you know, the best products we can uh, on behalf of uh, all of our all of our users. That sounds like a very daunting task uh, when you're working on something that uh, is so means so much to so many different people. Different. I mean, there's the creator side of it. There's the viewer side of it. I mean, I I know just being an individual creator that anytime you want to alter or change anything, it's you know people they they have their comforts, they have their expectations, and things like that. So. So this means that you would be intimately involved in in feature decisions, let's say. That that would be something that would end up in front of you in some way. Uh, you know, I, I would say it, it, in, a, in a general sense, that's right, Lou. So at the highest level, in terms of setting our product strategy, what is, what is the vision for the product for the next 12 months, the next three years, kind of what does our roadmap look like? Yes, that's my responsibility, and it's generally my job to, to give the appropriate sets of goals and kind of ambitions for for uh, our teams, and obviously a lot of that is informed through conversations with with creators like yourselves, with partners, um, you know, kind of all over the world uh, in terms of what they'd like to see on the YouTube product, where they think our roadmap should go, and so I try to synthesize that and set a strategy and vision for um, all the all the product managers, all the designers, researchers, etc., uh, on my team. But when it comes to individual features or how a feature shows up in the product, for example, or where it's located, or what does that actual user journey look like? Uh, there's a team of talented product people, engineers, designers, et cetera, that work together to make those individual decisions. And if there's decisions that you know involve either difficult trade-offs or um, that have um, sort of competing constraints, if you will, sometimes those decisions will get escalated up to me and I'll, I'll help the teams resolve those. But my job is to, the analogy I like to use is my job is to, to really sort of build the airport and the runway and it's the individual team's job to basically land and take the pl have the planes take off. I, I'm there to provide them the support and the vision and the guidance, but we have a very talented team of, you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people that are working to build features on your, your behalf, others creators' behalf uh, every single day. Yeah, I mean, I assumed that that was likely the case. I think uh, the reason that I, I highlighted uh, specific features is because there's been a feature recently that's gathered, you know, gotten a lot of attention. Uh, this, I don't know if it's the removal of a feature, or if it's a new feature, but of course I'm talking about this dislike button situation. And uh, I've been following a little bit on, I mean, obviously I saw the original release, but then I've seen some of the feedback from creators that are in my circle a little bit. Uh, maybe you can give me uh, like a brief background on that particular decision, the removal of the dislike button and sort of YouTube's position on why this was an important thing to do. Yeah, and and so uh, I mean, I'll I'll kind of take a step back, and some of this will tie to my answer to some of your some of your previous questions too, because I think it'll illustrate the types of you know the way that the decision making around these types of 
features and kind of product decisions are are, are actually going down uh, at YouTube. And so this was, of course, um, a decision. And as you describe, you know, you know, an adjustment to a feature or whatever you want to call it that that uh, that, of course, um, I was involved in other uh, members of the leadership team here at YouTube, of course, were involved in as well. And um, uh, we and it was it's an example of something that involves those trade-offs that I was talking about before. Uh, at the end of the day, YouTube is a very large ecosystem of you know viewers and creators and other partners. And it was about making sure that we were, you know, kind of balancing all of those uh, in sometimes sort of competing objectives or competing goals in a decision that we felt was the right sort of overall decision for the ecosystem. And so that was kind of our North Star and what we were trying to anchor on in terms of this particular decision. And leading up to it, you know, we didn't, you know, just come up with it out of the blue, as you can imagine. Uh, there was a lot of thought that it went into it. In fact, we ran... Um, a couple of experiments ahead of time to actually gather some data and learn, um, you know, the impact of dislike counts uh, on the ecosystem. What was the impact on creators, on viewers, etc.? And um, we learned um, a couple of things. One is that uh, if you do remove the number right next to the the actual, um, uh, you know, dislike the button per se. Uh, it does remove some of the incentive for uh, the behavior of um, people swarming and sort of, you know, kind of, you know, the disliking a particular video as a swarm activity as opposed to sort of an individual action. So that was that was one key learning. The second was um, uh, we also learned that um, the types of videos or the type of content that was particularly prone uh, to that type of an attack, um, dislike attack, if you will, uh, were smaller creators, creators that were up and coming, uh, creators didn't that didn't have sort of some of the infrastructure that other larger creators had. And so those were two key insights that we had. And so kind of taking all of this into account led us to the decision that we uh, we want to have the ability for people to express their opinion about a video, so that's why dislikes weren't removed completely. It was just the count, uh, and we wanted to provide that feedback mechanism to the creators. That's why obviously YouTube Studio still has you know that functionality available, so that creators can avail it of themselves. And um, so the best sort of way to really thread this needle was to keep the action, but to remove. That, that count that was incentivizing what was some of the problematic behavior. And so that was a lot of the thought process that went into it. There were a number of, you know, kind of reviews and decisions, you know, input that came from viewers, from creators, small and large, that fed into that particular um, uh, feature. And, and that's the mechanism uh, that led to that decision and how we rolled it out. Just to give you sort of like you know kind of the full background in terms of no, no, how no. that and actually went down. Yeah, and that's I, I mean I personally I find it very interesting. I uh, you know in a much smaller way I run a business myself. I, I have we make decisions and sometimes it comes from one place and is reviewed by somebody else. Like I I totally assumed that this would have gone through a process that it wouldn't have been some sort of like instantaneous snap your fingers dislike is gone there would have been some thinking that went into it and even before that before i heard about it i could imagine it happening also because the dislike button in general elsewhere on the internet is kind of non-existent across other social media 
platforms that are out there. You don't, you just don't see it. And so there's a thinking that, okay, there must be some reason why having this count, it must have some sort of a negative um, effect. But then there are also other people out there that feel that, that there was something positive about having that there. So let me ask you this. What, uh, what is the, when you guys were doing the analysis on, you know, the good side of doing something like this, what's the bad side of doing something like this? What's the, what's the negative of hiding this number? Yeah. I mean, what I would say is, um, like I said, I mean, this was this, this, these are these types of decisions um, are off are difficult because they do involve this trade-off, these pros and cons, as you're describing. And, you know, um, as you as you're seeing, you know, we ultimately erred on the side of um, what we think is the uh, we went with the side that we think is sort of the best decision for the overall ecosystem, and that is removing the count. The feedback that I have heard is, well, you know, the count was useful as a indicator of whether I should, um, you know, watch that video uh, or not. And, you know, part of the experiments that we ran was to understand whether, you know, content on YouTube was being impacted by the removal of that count or not. And um, as as you probably know, um, you know, dislikes are certainly one piece of input, but there's lots and lots of signals that our recommendation algorithms take into account in terms of surfacing personalized recommendations for all of our viewers. And it turned out that it wasn't, that count wasn't actually having any meaningful impact on the viewership that videos were getting, meaning that, um, you know, you, viewers were watching the videos that they you know, wanted to watch, wanted to consume. Uh, that was factoring into videos that were being recommended to them via our personalization algorithms. And all of that was working fine with or without that count. So that, that was sort of one piece of feedback that I heard that I think, you know, our experiments showed, you know, wasn't, wasn't really, you know, playing out that way. And then, um, you know, obviously there's the, the, the kind of, um, aspect of it's a signal for our creators, of course, in terms of uh, the uh, feedback on the content that they're producing, the videos that they're producing. And that's, of course, why we left the information in place in YouTube studios so that creators, when they're going through the creative process, when they're going through kind of ideation for the next you know, set of videos or content that they're going to produce, that input is still there. And of course, you know, as you know, as you do every single day, there's lots and lots of things that go into those types of decisions, not just that. But uh, we did hear loud and clear that that was one aspect of it, and that's why we kept it uh, available as a tool for our creators. So those were like the two things that um, that that I had heard even before this rollout, uh, and so and and that was sort of the way that I um, thought about them uh, in terms of sort of making the the decision that we did. Yeah, I think uh, w when I initially heard about this, I had a immediate sense that there's like kind of huge creator stuff and then and then just starting out creator stuff and that those perspectives can actually be quite far apart and when you know when people approach me and say hey that's so cool that you you're publishing to youtube and that you're a youtuber and then they immediately follow it up with like i would love to do that or i want to publish as well and then i imagine that and i try to remember as well what that process was like and those initial videos that you publish and that sentiment and that feedback that you're getting and how important that is as far as acting as fuel to keep you going and keep you publishing. And obviously YouTube being a place where 
uh, I, I, you want everybody to upload everything there, obviously, and you want and anybody who has something, uh, a passion in a particular area or something like this that wants to publish, you of course want that to be encouraged. But a lot of people out the gate might not be super comfortable with uh, this glaring kind of uh, uh, badge on top of their content, and so I think that big creators don't don't have to necessarily think about that in that way because the ratios are all pretty consistent once you hit a certain i mean there's obviously outliers so um and and i think probably the same is true around the uh, psychology as to why all, uh, so many other uh, video sites and social media sites don't bother with the showing the dislike count publicly it's 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 encouraging to pub for someone else to publish that hasn't published before because that's at least not one risk. It's removing one risk. But anyway, that's 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 sort of I don't know if that's if that was any part of uh, the thinking on your yeah, end as well. Yeah, I mean, well. I, I, one thing that I'll say, Lou, is like the way you characterize it is is actually a lot of the feedback that I heard from other large creators as well. Uh, even creators who, um, you know, might not have initially been comfortable with the decision. Uh, and I, I value that part of the kind of the YouTube sort of uh, ecosystem sort of culture, if you will, a great deal, which is large creators um, uh, don't forget sort of where they started from. And a big part of what they feel is their responsibility is you know, kind of the next generation or the up and coming creators. And so even when uh, when we when my teams were receiving feedback on the dislike button, there was always this acknowledgement that um, clearly my experience is probably quite different than it is for, you know, creators starting off today uh, in terms of the way you're describing it. Also in terms of, uh, you know, who is just more vulnerable to, you know, a, a concerted attack, not just, you know, uh, kind of in a general sense. And so uh, I, I, I did hear that actually from from other large creators as well. Now, do you think that there's any, this is the last question on this, on this, on this subject. I got, I have a few other questions, but do you think there's any chance, because it has become a hot topic and there are there still exists differing opinions on the subject do you think there exists a possibility of a hybrid where a creator who feels very passionately about having this ratio displayed where they could have on their channel exclusively the old ratio representation is there is there any possibility of such an option so we haven't we haven't actively discussed that so i don't i don't have anything kind of uh, new to share on that uh, aspect today. I mean, you know this, a big part of the way that we build features and, you know, products at YouTube is continual input, continual conversation with our with our creators. That's one of the aspects of my job that I love the most, frankly, is getting to talk to people like yourselves, your, you know, colleagues throughout the YouTube ecosystem. Uh, so there's no plans like that today. Uh, but, you know, we're always, you know, involved in the dialogue and having conversations with our creators. We're also sponsored by Honey, online savings simplified. Just right in your browser, any browser, you go in there, you add it to Chrome, and it's free. It's a couple of clicks. Next thing you know, you're shopping in the usual places you would shop. Mm -hmm. You're buying uh, gaming and tech products like you normally would. And Honey is working without you even thinking about it to scour the web for the best deal, the best code for that product without any extra attention on your in your behalf mm -hmm. you can see that's how it works is automatically trying to find you the best coupons 
And it's right when you're about to check out. So that's that moment where you have that uh, feeling in your gut. You're like, am I about to overpay for this thing? Yeah. Sometimes codes that you don't even know. Of course you don't even know. Yeah. Who can keep tabs on all this stuff? So let Honey do the hard work in the background, saving you cash without you even having to think about it. It's a no-brainer. Get the extension, put it in Chrome, get your act together. Honey. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online, ranging from tech, gaming products, to popular fashion brands, and even food delivery. Snowboard season's coming up, so I'm probably going to use Honey again to get some amazing deals from Burton. You could be missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a favor and supporting this podcast. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash lulater. That's joinhoney.com slash lulater. Thank you to Honey. Cool. All right, let's move on. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about... Uh, how how videos get suggested? How how a video ends up in front of myself or somebody else? Obviously, this is something that over the course of time that I've been doing this has changed significantly. Um, when I started out, discovery was a little bit more work. You were really having to cultivate this uh, uh, list of subscriptions and then relying on this, your subscription feed. Now. It's uh, much more suggestion-based, and so uh, people end up encountering content that they didn't necessarily have to seek out. What are the key characteristics of um, a piece of content now that ends up being suggested far and wide? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a super interesting question, and and it's not going to be surprising to you that there's not a there's certainly not a simple answer to it, um, and in fact. The reason why I think there's not a really simple answer to it is sort of where some of the magic of YouTube comes from in the first place, which is there is such a breadth and diversity and depth of content, uh, regardless of your interest as a viewer, uh, whether that's a short-term interest, long-term interest, wherever you are in the world, uh, chances are there's you know something that is uh, of interest to you on YouTube, and and because of that sort of kind of extremely wide range, um, there is no sort of one size fits all or silver bullet in terms of like what makes sort of you know uh, a, a video particularly prone to be recommended. And in a fundamental sense, that's because the way to actually deliver to our viewers what they're looking for is based on personalization. And so personalization is all about the individual preferences of a particular viewer. What you're going to see in your home feed or what's recommended to you after you're done watching a video uh, is going to be different than mine and, um, you know, different than sort of the next person. And that is, in an essence, sort of, you know, the magic of YouTube. And so we when we make those recommendations, when our um, when our algorithms learn what should get recommended to you, lots and lots of signals go into it. So you know, obviously, you know what what videos um, a user clicked on, but you know, more importantly, what did they watch? Things like watch time. Um, we talked about likes and dislikes, um, uh, and other a whole set of other signals will go into those recommendations. But it's fundamentally about um, what type of content, what type of videos you like watching uh, on our platform, and our recommendation algorithms learn from that. That's why you know your home feed as a new user um, continues to evolve and gets better and better and more and more honed over time. And that's the experience of you know the vast majority of our users all over the world. That doesn't mean that users don't take into uh, um, 
don't take it into their own hands when they want to actually also have a curated experience. And that's what the that's what the subs tab is all about, as you know, right? You subscribe to your favorite channels, your favorite creators, um, you know, uh, you, so that you um, always have access to their videos in a very specific spot in the YouTube app. Uh, you can set it up in a particular way that you like. You can um, uh, set up notifications around those videos in a particular way because that's obviously also a big driver of discovery of content. And then, of course, kind of the tried and tested sort of way that's always existed since the early days is just search, right? Just being able to search for uh, videos as well. Um, so it's really kind of, you know, what people do with some with search and then uh, and then of course recommendations play a really big part um, and it's all of those signals that go into it there's one uh, there's one signal that I wanted to highlight or ask about because I've been sort of no noticing it it's become a little bit more prevalent at least in my experience as a user as a viewer which is surveys I've noticed more sort of satisfaction surveys with a variety of questions. I'm wondering about the importance of that signal in the mix as an ingredient in that in entire mix. How important are surveys now? And is that going to be uh, going forward? Is that an area that uh, you'll be leaning into in order to get better at suggestions? Yeah, and I'll answer that. But let me ask you a question. Do you, do you feel like... YouTube is responsive to the answers that you provide in those surveys. Do you feel like it starts to show up uh, in terms of your recommendations over time? Oh, that's hard for me to say. I, I've only really started to interact with it very recently. Okay. I think, I think yes, I think it's having an effect, but it's so hard. It's like you were saying previously, there's so many factors that go into it. And sometimes when you're clicking on a video that you find intriguing, you're not necessarily doing the math as to how you ended up there or what you may have answered that brought you there. Because mm -hmm. if, the sure. con if the content itself is captivating, then you're already inside of it. Uh, that said, I find that questions on the survey to be interesting. And being a YouTube creator myself, I can't help but wonder the impact of these surveys on content that I publish and how people respond to that because sentiment is kind of different than some of these other signals like watch time or uh, click-through rate or some, something like this. Th those are um, a number, whereas yeah. these surveys are not. They're kind of a little bit more human. Yeah, it's uh, and and the reason I asked you that question is, and it'll you'll it'll be hopefully become apparent in my answer is, um, uh, the, even what you said as the answer is actually kind of the way that those surveys were designed to be a signal into our recommendations, meaning that they. Um, the idea was not meant for them to be an immediate signal per se. And and the the concept that um, some of those questions that you might be seeing, what we're trying to get, get at there is um, kind of, as you were touching on, a longer term impact, uh, an impact of uh, an understanding of sentiment or satisfaction, uh, which is not something... Uh, that you can capture through, you know, kind of short-term behavior of a video that you watched, how long you watched it, did you click on that thumbnail, that sort of thing. Those are obviously great signals for um, immediate feedback and sort of factoring into kind of what gets recommended to you kind of right then and there or next. 
But one of the concepts that we would like to continue to evolve to is also long-term satisfaction of our viewers uh, after they've had a chance to perhaps reflect on uh, content that they watched and 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 factor that into recommendations mm. uh, over time as well so that there is a um, kind of a longer horizon sort of feedback, if you will, as another means to continue to refine and um, deliver to our users what they're looking for that is not just focused on kind of short-term engagement, that is actually focused on you know, perhaps a longer term goal that a particular, um, you know, viewer might have. So, you know, just to give you a more concrete example, lots of viewers um, come to YouTube just, you know, like like they do on, on your channel uh, to learn something new, to learn about, you know, a particular topic that's of interest to them. They, they can learn something right then and there. Uh, and sometimes for viewers, that, that learning journey is actually something that happens over uh, like a longer period in time, like over the course of several videos. Uh, you know, you might, for example, you might be learning algebra. You're not going to learn that in one video. You're going to learn that over the course of 10, 15, 20 videos. And is there a way that we can actually capture that user's satisfaction with, you know, kind of that learning journey on YouTube as a very mm. concrete example and as mm. a means to continue to make that a better, you know, journey for algebra learners, for example. Uh, and so that's that's the way that uh, you should think about those, those surveys that uh, pop up occasionally. Yeah, so I think it's more obvious to me the survey component from the viewer side of things where it where I feel slightly more confused, or maybe that's the wrong word, intrigued, I should say, is the survey side from the creator perspective. And by this, I mean the fact that I know these service surveys are happening for people that are watching my content, but I, but I don't have access to any of those results to know what the sentiment is around a particular video or subject that I cover, which might not be as good as another one. Now, I know if I publish a video that has great results, Inside of analytics, I'll have all types of markers and feedback stating, hey, do more of that. But it's, it's kind of vague. Whereas if this survey information around satisfaction was available to me, then I might actually be able to tune what I'm publishing as well to uh, better satisfy a, a, a group of individuals, a group of viewers, even regular viewers, if that information is out there. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. And I think what I would say, I'd say a couple things about that. One is if if there's a useful signal that we could tease out of this that I think could actually provide insights in terms of, you know, new videos or new types of content that you could produce for your for your fans. Uh, I think that that's, you know, a great idea. And I think it's something that we should consider uh, ultimately putting into YouTube yeah, into into analytics, into YouTube Studio. Hopefully, you've seen that we've really doubled down in terms of insights and trends and cards and things like that that we want to put at your fingertips. So I could imagine something useful getting teased out of this. I think it would be um, less useful, frankly, if it was sort of the raw data, because as you said, there's so much subjectivity there. It's oftentimes not just tied to one particular video, uh, but but there might be some useful creator-facing signals that should come out of that that I think is, is certainly an interesting the idea. And then, you know, the other piece is, the other thing that I would say is that we're also working on um, more ways for you to interact with your uh, with your fan base to actually tease out that type of feedback that you're looking for 
directly, whether it's through a post or a poll that you can do in a post or something like that. Obviously, um, you know, you can do it directly in, um, you know, in a in a in a YouTube story or what have you. There's different ways, obviously, that you can you can do it in the comments, of course. Uh, so there there are ways that creators tease that out, but actually being able to provide it in sort of like a kind of kind of statistically significant signal through some of this is is also something that we would think about. Well, yeah, see, and the reason that I think that that could be um, useful or meaningful to creators is because oftentimes uh, you can have a subject or a subject matter concept topic that might not be the most widely appealing one, but it could be really uh, satisfying or useful or uh, it, it could be um, meaningful, let's say to a smaller group of people. But when you get your analytics back and maybe the sentiment in the comments was like, hey, we love this, but then the it wasn't widely appealing. And so analytics doesn't do a great job of telling you that uh, th this may not have been the biggest hit video, but amongst the group of people who watched it, 82% were chose five-star satisfaction. In which case you might say, hey, I don't mind serving that crowd, mm -hmm. even if it means that I'm making content decisions away from the widest funnel. Like not everybody's going to be Mr. Beast who's targeting everyone. And that if we're talking about value, if we start to think of in the value mindset, like I want to provide something that's really valuable for a small subset of people. I think that people who create that kind of content could benefit greatly from being able to put some kind of a score on that value per user. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I do think that that would be something, cer certainly something, I mean, worthwhile for us to figure out a way to tease out and actually, you know, I, I view that as just, you know, it should be part of the stable of insights that we provide you uh, to give you sort of that level of, of granularity. You know, another kind of take on it that I could see is if it actually isn't a huge hit, but it does pop for whatever reason uh, with a particular segment of your viewer base, what are the characteristics of that viewer base? What are the oh. other things that are interesting to you? So so I, I do think that that would be, I think, super valuable, especially for, for um, you know, channels like yours that have a very broad um, fan base already. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm you know you you get to you've, you do it as long as I have, and you uh, have such a, a variety of subject matter that you cover in terms of like products that show up on the show, and you have a subset of the audience that wants to see more obscure items and wants things to be a certain way, and then you have other audience members that will only click on some sort of high-profile brand or product, and so it, you can't help but become conditioned to want to service the biggest group, even yeah. though the smaller group exists within there and you kind of wish there was a way to quantify the uh, significance of serving them as well. Uh, this Obviously this is uh, complex, how to figure something like this out, but when you have, and I'm sure this is the case for a lot of channels that have been doing this for a long time or have large subscriber bases, you end up with quite a variety inside of your own community. Yeah, and that variety can be across multiple dimensions. You mentioned it across products. It can be across geographies for exactly. you know, other creators and a whole whole slew. So I think that's that's really great feedback. Uh, so the uh, the last thing I want to ask you about is YouTube Shorts. This has been um, a, a very big deal. 
uh, very um, uh, current kind of change. I have kind of gone back and forth myself. I'm, I'm going to uh, be publishing a number of shorts here shortly, shorts shortly. <laughs> but I haven't really experimented all that much as a creator on shorts. I've obviously uh, watched many shorts. I'm curious about how, uh, how, like why, why shorts on YouTube? How, maybe I'll just leave it as simple as that. Why shorts on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and, and you've been, uh, you know, you've obviously been on YouTube for a very, very long time. So you've seen so much of this journey already. But I, but kind of the thought experiment behind shorts was, well, what if, what if YouTube was starting today? Um, and, you know, versus 15 years ago. And, you know, when YouTube started 15 years ago, it was all about, um, you know, creators like yourselves or other creators um, having a tripod and a camera and, you know, basically kind of starting to shoot and talking about something in their family rooms or bedrooms or wherever, kind of out in their backyard or what have you. And that created the canonical sort of YouTube experience that we all, everybody, you know, 2 billion viewers all over the world sort of kind of take for granted today. But if you think about it, as you'll recall, you know, over a decade ago, that wasn't something to be taken for granted. It was kind of revolutionary. It sort of changed the game in terms of video. Well, what if those creators were, what if YouTube was starting today? And what if those creators were starting today? Would they start with the same set of equipment? Would they start with the same paradigms, et cetera? And today, obviously, the world has changed in a way where all of that technology, both in terms of capture and in terms of uh, editing or what have you, now exists in your pocket on a smartphone. Um, you know, you might, so therefore, you're a lot more mobile. You can do it much more quickly. And, you know, you might shoot it vertically because that's the orientation of the phone. And so taking into account all of those things of, you know, YouTube is, you know, my job at YouTube is to basically kind of build what, you know, build the world's best stage for creators, right? And then let creators do their magic. That's what, you know, all of our teams here at YouTube are, are very focused on. And so if we're building that stage today, what would you design? Well, you design something, I would argue, very similar to YouTube Shorts, which captures the power of being able to create on a mobile device anywhere that you want, focused, you know, kind of on vertical video, but doesn't have to be focused on perhaps mixing it with other types of content because now that technology exists where you can just do that seamlessly from your phone. And and that is really kind of the, that was sort of the genesis of YouTube Shorts. Uh, how do we create this sort of amazing creation experience for creators that are just getting started today, but also make it powerful enough that they can work for, you know, large creators who already are massively successful on the platform like yourselves. That's where Shorts came from. Um, that's where we've seen a lot of the success kind of all over the world in terms of creators, but also in terms of viewers. Shorts already has, I think, on the order of, you know, kind of north of 15 billion views uh, and growing. And so um, that's Based on that feedback that we're getting from creators and viewers, we're continuing to uh, kind of double down on our investment in it. Now, obviously, shorts is a much different. I, I totally understand and agree with what you're talking about as far as friction around like creating in general. It's so much different now. It was there's no special equipment required. Everyone's a creator. Everyone has a phone, and everyone has the ability to publish. And is looking for platforms that can uh, provide a spot to do that. So makes a ton of sense. 
But from the viewing side of things, obviously the experience of viewing very short form, swipeable content, is it's quite a big difference from sitting down and, and watching something uh, that's 10 minutes long, never mind something that's like half an hour long, and paying attention over the, the course of that entire timestamp. Do you worry at all whether, whether you're speaking on behalf of YouTube or yourself as a person who's just immersed in it, do you worry at all about the habit of watching tremendously short content and flipping between it rapidly? It's something we talk about on this show on a frequent basis. Are there any concerns there about that? Uh, and just to make sure I understand your question, Lou, you're saying it more from like a kind of changing viewer behavior or like a cannibalistic standpoint or, or um, um, well, I mean, there's, I guess there's that, but there's also just like sort of the, uh, I've been on YouTube for uh, t over 10 years yep. and, uh, obviously I've been through the many phases of sort of important components that are inside of videos that you would publish, including the age of watch time mm -hmm. where it was tremendously important for a period of time and consistency and, and other characteristics. Um, if is, is it, is it possible that a user that engages primarily with shorts that their taste or that their uh, habit is it becomes tuned for that type of content exclusively. What do, are are you seeing anything on your end that implies that once a person becomes a shorts viewer, that they're primarily interested in shorts, or or are they do they mix it up? Like, of course, I'm out here in the world. I see statistics. I see the type of numbers that other platforms are pulling. This is a very powerful medium, the idea of ultra short form content. And I guess the, yeah, the question is, is there a conditioning that's taking place? Is there a possibility that short form viewers become poor long form viewers? Yeah, I, now I understand your, your question. I think it's, it's an interesting one. I'll just, in short, I haven't seen any evidence of that at all at the, at this point. Uh, and I think, um, you know, we see, we see viewers consuming both types of content. Um, it it um, obviously varies. You know, there's obviously kind of a huge kind of range in there in terms of uh, the types of viewers. But I haven't seen any sort of, um, you know, sort of change in either in change in behavior or a new set of users where they're just consuming sort of one type of content versus the other. You know, again, sort of back to. Um, sort of where what what YouTube is looking to do I think from our you know our, our mission is to kind of give everybody a voice and show them the world I talked about giving everybody a voice that's what we do for our creators building that stage and for creators it's got to be about the best tools for longer form content it's got to be about the best products for short form content it should be about the best set of products for whatever our creators are looking to do and so if I flip that on its head in terms of um, uh, showing all our viewers the world, that has to be about the entire breadth of video content. Whether you're on YouTube and you're watching, you know, a two-hour documentary or um, uh, uh, a tech unboxing video or anything else, or you're just on it, you know, kind of while you're waiting in line and you have a minute and you watch, you know, three or four shorts, 
we our job is to be able to cater to all of those use cases in a way that actually delivers real satisfaction to our viewers. And so that is that's the goal. That's how we approach it, as opposed to, you know, kind of one type of format sort of changing, uh, um, you know, behavior in any particular way. I, I really don't think it's it's uh, binary like that. Yeah, well, no. And, and I like the, the fact that you keep using this word satisfaction because I think that I there's a, some kind of comfort for me in that word in that r really that's the component that I would, and we already talked about this as far as those surveys are concerned. It's like you, the metric, the view metric is kind of the part that be, becomes obsessive for a lot of creators. It's like, I got to hit a certain number of views or I have a certain uh, criteria for that. And, but in reality, there, 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 there might be more value sometimes in approaching content that isn't, doesn't necessarily compete strictly on that by that via that criteria. And so like, cause when I think of long form or I think of something like you said about learning or there's all this subject matter, which, uh, might not be the hottest or the quickest or something like this, but for those that engage with it, they might derive tremendous value from it. So I think my only uh, point or piece that I would put in there is that if satisfaction remains paramount, then I, then I, and there's a way to actually track it and deliver it, then I feel comfortable that all these things can coexist because then the, the stuff that will surface is going to be hopefully the most valuable or satisfactory to the, to the end user, whether it's short or long. Yeah, I think you encapsulate it really well there. I mean, I think that is certainly the goal, which is ultimately the idea is to have our viewers be satisfied with their experience on YouTube over the long run. And that's going to be a collection of different types of things, depending on whatever their interest is in a particular day or wherever they are, uh, you know, in their life, you know, whatever their, you know, again, you content that they might be consuming with the rest of their family or friends or what have you. And so all of those things should factor into um, our viewers' experience really all over the world. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is how do we actually convey uh, that value to our creators too, right? So um, not just give them the insights like we talked about earlier uh, in this conversation, uh, but also are there things that we could do to create, um, you know, economic value for our creators from that satisfaction in a way that's actually fair to 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 creators that are producing different types of content? That's why we're so invested in kind of a diversity of monetization options too, not just advertising. Obviously, that's the primary one. As you know, we have subscription offerings with you know YouTube Premium, et cetera. But we have all of these other sort of alternative monetization products, direct fan funding, super chat, super stickers, memberships, right? Memberships gets at some of what you're describing, which is content that might be incredibly valuable uh, from a satisfaction standpoint to our small to a smaller subset of users how do you actually deliver that value like almost like a fan club to your to kind of your most ardent fans etc so we'll also be looking for those types of opportunities uh, for our creators as well yeah I think that's huge I am personally connected to a large number of creators and many of whom have been doing this for a long time and have sort of watched the 
the view counts go up and down and and they've been on a view count hamster wheel and i think there's a lot there's some kind of fatigue that comes from that hunt and that chase there's good stuff that comes from it too but there's also uh it, it's also it also can be tough and i think like the this type of uh the interest that you have in in this alternative approach or in this uh, approach which also aims at uh possibly serving alternative niches in different ways for with with different revenue and or revenue opportunities etc that's um it's it sounds uh promising and i think it could it could probably help some of those uh channels you know really focus in and zero in on how they could add value and, and how could how they could get positive feedback because that acts as the fuel i've been doing this for so long it's that it's this feedback these the the metrics whichever ones you choose to focus on that can provide the fuel necessary to go publish that next one and keep the whole thing moving and of course on the flip side of that it can go completely the other direction as well which i, I i'm speaking on behalf of other creators in in my dms who they they uh, might not be feeling super warm and fuzzy about whatever's happening with their channel at different times. So yeah, I think uh, that type of uh, diver di diversity in uh, ev evaluation of metrics could 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 be the antidote to that eternal uh, ha view count hamster wheel. Yeah, no, I think that's great feedback, um, and I've you know I've certainly heard similar sen sentiment as well, and and that's why you know diversifying the metrics, diversifying you know the monetization products, etc., is something we're focused on. If you have any other thoughts for things that we should be looking at or looking to do there uh, to make it make uh, you know make it better for our creators, obviously let me know about that as well, because uh, definitely very open to seeing what we could either build into Studio or YTA or just you know just you know, published separately that I think would be valuable just as a motivation and insights, but also very open to ideas for, for products and features that you think might help with that as well. Well, that's awesome. Um, I'm glad that, uh, that you guys are responsive to such things. I'm also glad that you came on the show, cleared some things up, offered some background on certain uh, pre pressing issues. I think people are going to be uh, happy to hear these responses. And there's a, there was a lot of curiosity around it i always appreciate transparency and your and the willingness to come on and chat about it so it's been a pleasure uh, i think this is the first time i've spoken to you so it's yeah been a pleasure. i was gonna say i've been a, a long time fan first time caller so uh, <laughs> happy, happy it's been great to connect so uh thank you very much for the time and the conversation yeah thank you too all right lou take care talk soon